This is Gulf Coast Life. I'm Mike Canary. Thanks for joining us. According to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, before the coronavirus pandemic began, the prevalence of depression, anxiety, and behavioral problems among teens was already growing in the United States. This is now the third school year that's been impacted by the pandemic, and this has only magnified the pressures brought on by school and life for teenagers. On today's show, we're going to learn about a local effort now in its third year to try to remove the stigma of talking about mental and behavioral health issues particularly among teens. During this past Saturday's virtual event called Normal is Overrated, local students shared their firsthand experiences with behavioral and mental health issues and offered commentary on the impact misunderstanding and fear can have on those already struggling with mental and behavioral health issues. The event was presented by Healthy Lee Behavioral Health Coalition of Southwest Florida, Kids Minds Matter, and other community partners. I spoke with its moderator and one of the teen presenters Let's hear that now. Dr. Paul Simeone is Vice President and Medical Director of Mental and Behavioral Health at Lee Health. Dr. Simeone, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Good to be here. And Megan Pinheiro is a senior at Fort Myers High School and was a speaker at the Normal is Overrated event on Saturday. Megan, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We do invite you to weigh in on our conversation via WGCU social media channels. You can do so on Facebook. We're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So, Dr. Simeone, it's been almost exactly two years to the day since we talked about the first Normal is Overrated event. And so much has happened since in terms of things that might impact one's mental health, especially students. Can you just kind of reflect on, you know, what we've been through for the past, you know, year and a half now? Well, well, I think, you know, we've been through hell. I mean, and, you know, just to be straightforward about it, um, the pandemic was was something that got, you know, uh, superimposed on what was already a pretty severe behavioral health epidemic amongst children. And since we're talking, since this is about, you know, behavioral health with adolescents in particular, it's been really rough. I mean, kids have had a really difficult time with, you know, um, isolation feeling disconnected from peers, especially during a time when, you know, peer relationships are the most important in one's life um, at, you know, during adolescence. You know, remote schooling uh, for everybody, teachers, parents, kids alike, been really challenging. We've heard a lot about that in the community. And so uh, more than any other time, something like the Normals Overrated event is, I think, particularly appropriate to be talking about these issues. You know, a lot of times, or I guess always really, the data on impacts lags a year or two at least behind the impacts because it just Mm -hmm. takes that long for it to sort itself out. Is there anything that you're seeing so far in terms of actual numbers on how mental health and, you know, issues that teens are facing has been impacted by this pandemic situation? Yeah, by every metric we have to measure you know, wellness, if you want to talk about it that way, in the community, both the kids and adults are doing much more poorly than they were uh, 18 months to two years ago. Um, you know, the usual, the usual things that we measure, like depression, anxiety, trauma, substance use disorder, particularly opiate overdose, overdose death, suicidality, psychosis, all of these are, the prevalence rates are off the charts. Prevalence rates for depression and anxiety are up about 40%. Um, Alcohol sales are up about 25%. Overdose death 
by opiates are up um, from, well, the last, just before the pandemic, we had about 76,000 deaths. We're now up over 90 plus thousand. So all of the, all of the gains that we made before the pandemic hit have been erased. And that's also true for suicide rates. So everything that was going on beforehand has gotten much worse since then. And what I worry about is, as you pointed out, Mike, I worry about the fact that trauma is always delayed. So we're going to see for the next, I think, several years, the tail of this. Um, and I think it's going to take us a while to get through it. So, um, yeah, we're, you know, we're slowly coming out of this second surge, um, but it's going to take probably until the holidays for it to be over or at least reduced to a large extent. But I think the behavioral health implications are going to go on for years. So the first ever Normal is Overrated event was back in 2019. Uh, we talked about it on this show. Uh, the goal is mm-hmm. to break barriers, improve communication among teenagers and their families when it comes to dealing with uh, mental and behavioral health issues. This event that happened on Saturday, it was virtual for the second year in a row. Um, just how did it go, Dr. Simeone? It was fabulous. I mean, it's fabulous every year. I mean, it's, what's interesting about it is that each year we have a really spectacular group of kids, including Megan, who you'll hear from soon, who get up in the most courageous way possible, talk about their issues uh, in a sophisticated, thoughtful, mature, respectful, tolerant way. And they provide for themselves and the audience this wonderful opportunity for us to talk about hard truths, about what it means to be human. And so I think this, the, the event has actually gotten better every year, partly because we're better at producing it, frankly. And I want to give a shout out to my uh, trusted partner, Lauren Walker, who's a senior program manager at the Center for Population Health, and Cheryl Schlick. There's a whole bunch of people who have been really involved in making this happen. But um, I think we've just gotten better. We've gotten clearer on what we want from the event. Um, the kids have gotten more honed in how they want to tell their stories. It's just, it's my favorite of all the community events we either sponsor or I participate in. It's my favorite because it's run by students and they, they get the mic and they are just super impressive in what they can do. How many students spoke this year? Four told their story. We had um, a young woman, Kelly McGuire, who gave the keynote, which was this beautiful storytelling. I mean, she's a she's a storyteller and she talks about the importance of telling one story, owning one story, feeling pride in one story, putting it out without apology, uh, and then over time changing one story. You know, the way that we change narrative. We change narrative, you know, for all sorts of reasons, not least of which is that we want to get better. So we try we try to change our stories in constructive ways. And she taught a master lesson in that. And then what followed was uh, the four students who told their stories and they provided, you know, this wonderful accompaniment to that uh, in telling their own. So it was really a, it was a great tour de force in my view. It's just, just so heartening to be a part of. Uh, Megan, I want to bring you in now. You were one of the speakers on Saturday. How do you think the event went? And had you participated in it in past years? Uh, I think the event went really well. The other speakers did amazing and um, Kelly's story was really powerful. I'm not typically moved by things, and I nearly cried at that. And I have not participated before. I had heard about it my, I think, either freshman or sophomore year. And 
I had wanted to participate, but I didn't know how to. Hmm. So, and then I auditioned to be a speaker last year. It didn't turn out because I had the wrong impression of the event. Oh, so you have to <laughs> like throw your hat into the ring to be a speaker. So uh, you decided to do it again this year and you made it to the, to the stage. What was your, you know, story and your message? Can you just kind of give us an idea of what it is you're dealing with and what it is you talked about? Yeah, I described essentially my fight um, with depression and anxiety and also um, what it was like living um, as a kid with ADHD and not being diagnosed until actually August of this year. Um, and I did it in a chronological order. I went through also how I daydreamed. A I still daydream a lot. Um, it was a coping mechanism, entertainment as well, but mainly it was a way for me to kind of step away from my fear and from this self-hatred I had for a long time and build a world where I felt happy and ran from the numbness that I felt. You said that you just recently were diagnosed with ADHD. Was that a relief to you to know there was something that you could address knowing it was real? Yes, I had been, I had um, believed that I had it for years. It was just very difficult to get a diagnosis, um, partially because I don't, I'm not meaning to brag when I say this, I am a fairly intelligent person. So I was good at masking my symptoms and like passing it off with good grades. But as of late, because my schoolwork's gotten so hard, it's just been more and more difficult to mask. And so I was just like, I need the 504 plan. I need to get this diagnosed. So I went through and did the proper diagnostic exam. Were you nervous when you gave your presentation? Yes, but not particularly. I didn't really mind about reaction or anything. And I've done public speaking before. And I'm also a theater kid at heart, so I love it. And the fear that I kind of feel on stage is more like an adrenaline rush to me. Are the things that you talked about during this presentation things that you talk openly about with your peers in your day-to-day -day life? Oh, yes. I try my best to be as open and honest as I can because also a lot of my friends suffer with the same things. I seem to attract people who are also like me and mentally ill and neurodivergent. And I just, I think kids need to know more about it too, because I know of kids whose families are also hesitant about medication and therapy. And with how much it's helped me, I mean, I can't just stay silent and let other kids worry about similar things or just not know whether or not what they're going through is normal. Like, is this just me being a hormonal teenager or is there something going on that's deeper? Because I thought it was just me being a, a a teenage girl going through uh, just crying fits all the time when it was really my depression. You know, we talked about this two years ago, and there's obviously a stigma around talking about mental health in our culture broadly. And two years ago, when we talked with Carly McGovern, who was the founder of this, she was talking about how maybe that stigma is kind of going away, at least among younger people. Do you feel like there's still a stigma you know, maybe not just with your close friends, but just in general about kids dealing with mental illness? I think there's less stigma, especially around the, like, the more common ones like depression and anxiety, but I still think there's a lot of stigma around the lesser known ones or the lesser understood ones like DID and uh, BPD. What are those two things? Uh, dissociative identity disorder and bipolar disorder. Understood. Um, how would you say the last 18 months have impacted your mental health because of the pandemic and the homeschool that had to happen and everything that we've been dealing with? 
Oh, it's been terrible. It took me back years and it felt as if it took me back years in progress. I, my grades dropped substantially. I used to be an AB student and I got a D last year. Um, my GPA dropped like from a 5.3 to a 4.8. Uh, it's my, I became, uh, just, I became almost suicidal if, as in suicidal ideations I was experiencing. It was like the work just kept on piling up and I was so isolated. It was just atrocious. It was a nightmare. Was that primarily just because of having to do everything over, you know, screens instead of being around people? Yeah, I also didn't see friends much. I spent a lot of time on the internet and I did do some like doom scrolling. But yeah, online school was just not good for me. I couldn't focus and I have a lot of very difficult classes nowadays that I can barely focus in school in person. I can't imagine. Of course, I couldn't focus online when I had easy access to a phone or could just miss class and not register the consequences as properly. So while the pandemic is still going, you're back in school in person, I presume. How has that helped your overall well-being? It's done better. Unfortunately, the one thing that's been a negative impact due to physical school is that I still have to wake up extra early now. Hmm, Yeah. And I never get good sleep. And that doesn't help with processing in school. But having friends is very useful. It's being able to go out and just enjoy being an actual teenager is massively helpful. This is a big question, and I don't know if you can answer it easily, but where would you say from your teenager perspective, social media, TikTok, Instagram, etc., how does that factor into your well-being and in, in your mental health? I actually avoid TikTok because it's so easy to procrastinate with it. Um, I thought I'd exercise some self-control for once and delete it. But with Instagram... I'm not actually one to use social media much because I know that if I look too much at it, I know it would impact me negatively, particularly because of all the kind of, there's a lot of a culture of perfection there that I'm already a perfectionist and it just makes me self-conscious, especially in terms of body when there's these, a lot of unrealistic body types on social media. But the one social media, I only keep Instagram to contact friends like I literally only ever use that for that and follow um, the occasional mental health account or the Fort Myers progress panel page and YouTube I still use but that's just because that's been my biggest source of entertainment for the past like five years six years I would quit it if I could it's just difficult it's a difficult fight with that one but I will say the good part about it is the connection i would have felt a lot more alone when it came to like um, my sexuality and just who I am as a person had I not had some form of social media. It's just a matter of, what's the term? It's a matter of just not doing it too much. If you're just joining the show, we're talking about a local effort now in its third year to shine light on the struggles of students with behavioral and mental health issues 
and to work toward broadening acceptance in the community, especially among teens. I'm talking with Megan Pinheiro. She was a speaker at the Normal is Overrated event that took place this past weekend. She's a senior at Fort Myers High School. And Dr. Paul Simeone, he's vice president and medical director of mental and behavioral health at Lee Health. If you'd like to weigh in on our conversation and engage with fellow listeners, you can do so via WGCU's social media. On Facebook, we're at WGCU Public Media. And on Twitter, we're at WGCU using the hashtag GCL. So, Dr. Simeone, when you were listening to her talk about social media and things like that, you know, wh- what is the data showing us? I know that in broad terms, there's it seems to be a pretty direct correlation between depression and other issues and social media. Is that being, you know, is there more granular data on that now than two years ago? I think what the data shows from my point of view is that, uh, yeah, there's increased depression and anxiety. Um, I would also add that uh, there's some data showing that kids who spend a lot of time on social media have decreased capacity, decreased empathic capacity, and also decreased capacity for everyday conversations. Um, not, not shockingly. I mean, I think that the way that people connect via social media, I would not describe as conversational. Um, I would describe it as, you know, um, sort of segmented communication that has a kind of dissociative element to it. Um, when you're using TikTok or you're using um, Instagram or even, you know, just texting back and forth. I think there is a way in which you can drop in and out. I don't think there's a lot of context to the conversation. Certainly, there's not a lot of cueing that goes on. Um, It's hard to get emotional cues that way unless people are typing in caps and that sort of thing. So, um, you know, I think I think that Megan did a really good job describing it. I think it's I think social media is a very mixed bag. Uh, this idea that people promote lives and, um, you know, body types and all the rest that are more perfectionistic. I think that's true. I think uh, there's a lot of negative comparing going on. Um, you know, even even when I jump on Facebook, which is very rare, um, and I look at what people are writing about, I'm, I'm, I'm very struck by how um, produced so much of this is. Um, some of it's, you know, some of it's casual, but a lot of it seems produced in a casual way. Um, and I think that, that that doesn't do a lot of us a whole lot of good comparing ourselves to that. I don't take it very seriously, but I know a lot of people do. So you have that. Uh, the other side of it is that I think that I think Megan spoke to, which is for a lot of people, it's kept them alive. It's been a way to connect. Um, and if you can keep yourself, you know, above the fray of all that's kind of toxic with social media. I think there are some good things to be had there. So I think you have to bring to it a more subtle and nuanced point of view about, you know, what it's like for each particular person under what circumstance. Megan, do you feel like you and your fellow students are getting the kind of mental health support they need from school? See, that's, hmm, it's a little complicated because I've seen friends who don't particularly appreciate some of the help. Um, Like you can, for example, go to a counselor and request that they speak to a kid, but there are kids who will get offended by that. Then again, if you're worried about someone, you should share it with an adult. Sometimes it's it's difficult to talk to teachers about it, especially um, when you're in like I'm in IB classes and it just always feels like there's a perfectionist culture in IB that I always feel like I'm a bad student because I've been so unable to get my work done. 
So I just feel kind of ashamed to talk to my teachers about um, my current 504 plan and the extended time that I require and how, hey, I didn't manage to get anything done uh, yesterday because I just wasn't doing well. Can I have more time, please? Or can I just take a break this class? I'm not feeling well. But at the same time, there's also counselors. There's a school um, mental health professional. My counselor's been an absolute angel for me. She's uh, held meetings for me for me to vent my frustrations with school, help me organize my classes, um, help me manage to stay in IB. It's a good start is what I think. I think there could be more to it. Would you say that because of what we've been through during the pandemic and the obvious impact it's having on all of our mental health, it's made it easier to talk about it? Yeah, I'd say it's easier to talk about. A lot of kids who maybe have not experienced it as much before are now more open, or maybe it's just the pent up communication from those of us who isolated. We just have a lot to say nowadays. Dr. Simeone, what are your thoughts on that in terms of the broader culture understanding the need for mental health support because we're all going through something that's impacting our mental health? Yeah, I totally agree with Megan. I, I think that's been, you know, one of the silver linings in the COVID cloud um, that, you know, I think, you know, behavioral health, mental health, whatever you want to call it, um, has just moved front and center, largely because it's had to. You know, there have been so many people with struggling with so much you know, depression, anxiety, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that um, we have to talk about it. And there's been, I think, you know, I think the media has played a good role in that. There's been a lot, you know, like you, Mike, on FGCU, and there's been a lot of talk about mental health issues across the board. So I think that that's really great. I think it's also given people an opportunity to have um, a, a, an experience of collective grief, um, you know, what we've all lost. I mean, I don't know anyone who hasn't lost something in this. And I, th I think that's been really um, a wonderful way of connecting with people. And I also think all of us have more gratitude for one another. I, mean, I think we've come to see that we can't go it alone, that people are important, even though those relationships can be challenging, people are really important to us and that we need to think about them as very important and value them in a, in a different way. I know that's been true for me. I've, I've, there have been lots of these little lessons that I've taken from the suffering of, of the pandemic. But I, but I think, I think it's a mistake to, to not appreciate, you know, some of the, the positive aspects of what we've been through. Megan, not to put you on the spot, but do you have college plans in place or, or a goal, you know, a goal for what you're going to do after you graduate? Oh, yes. Uh, I'm planning to go to UF because my brother goes there, actually. I would probably try to go to the best college I can in state just so that I can get the Bright Futures plan. And though I would love to go out of state, if I were to go out, out of state, I'd go to um, Washington University because, or University of Washington, because I just fell in love with the city of Seattle. And I'm thinking of pursuing art. What kind of art? I was thinking animation or also art restoration has caught my eye. Wow, that's really cool. Um, Dr. Simeone, before we let you guys go, do you keep in touch with Carly McGovern, the student who kicked this all off back in 2019? Yes, we do. Carly's Carly's one of our superheroes. Um, yeah, I I I just love Carly McGovern, and um, she's you know she 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 was involved with this uh, this most recent normal is overrated by she was she was involved virtually, and um, 
yeah, she's uh, she's quite something, and we owe a lot to her to get you know having gotten this started. So, yes, we do. And you have plans for to let this tree keep growing in the future? Absolutely. Um, this is a much beloved community event. People really love it. It really, I mean, it always stirs a very rich and robust conversation about mental health issues. You know, for everybody who listens to it. And so, you know, we 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 have to keep this going because it's an important ongoing conversation. All right. I want to thank my guests. Dr. Paul Simeone is Vice President of Mental and Behavioral Health at Lee Health. Dr. Simeone, thank you so much for your time. My great pleasure. Thank you. And Megan Pinheiro was a speaker at the 2021 Normal is Overrated event that took place this past Saturday. She's a senior at Fort Myers High School. Megan, thanks so much for sharing your story and your time with us. Thank you for your time. If you missed any of today's show, you can always hear episodes in their entirety on our website, wgcu.org slash gcl, or wherever you get your podcasts. Our show today was produced by yours truly. Our director today is Tara Calligan. For now, thank you for listening. I'm Mike Canary. This is NPR for Southwest Florida, 90.1 WGCU-FM, Fort Myers, Naples, and Punta Gorda, and 91.7 WMKO Marco Island, a member-supported service of Florida Gulf Coast University. Thank you.